Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. This is Yuri Hauswald. Yeah. And we are coming to you live from Berkeley, California, the Goo Energy Labs headquarters. And this is the first time I've ever had a male co-host, Yuri. Um, I feel very honored. I are do. you up for the Are you up for the job? Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Super excited. So, um, and you are the host of your own podcast or co-host. I am the co-host, yeah, yeah. of a podcast called The Pinnacle Podcast uh-huh. uh, that we do through Goo Energy Labs. And uh, I think we're on our second or third season now. We j- we're about oh, you have to- seasons. You have seasons. We do have Aren't seasons. Aren't you fancy? Yeah. Uh, that's how we do it down here. We just, uh, year round. <laughs> Come on. We just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, that's, that's how Mother Runners roll. Our mm-hmm. first episode is about to drop the end of this week. Um, and you guys would be interested in it. It's EO Wang, local runner. Oh, yeah. Um, she just punched her Western States ticket at the Black Canyon Ultra earlier this year. Nice, yeah. And I have spoken to you about having her on our podcast. I, know. I need to introduce you to. I know, yeah, because she was inspired by finding out about the Boston Marathon and it launched her on her career to be an ultra runner. She was also an accidental runner, mm-hmm. like our guest tonight. Yeah. Um, of sorts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think that's the perfect segue then to introduce our guest. Yes, we. Um, so, and our guest, and she will come up in a sec, is Katie Arnold, a longtime magazine writer and author of a memoir debuting, as we record this, it's debuting tomorrow. It's called Running Home. It's about the death of her father, postpartum anxiety, and her entry into the world of ultra running. Last year, at the age of 46, if I did my math right, Katie won the first 100-mile race she ever entered, the prestigious and super challenging Leadville 100. Yeah. Give it up for Katie. A mom of two daughters, Katie lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, before I bring her up, I have to say on a personal note, Katie and I go way back, uh, both <laughs> both editors and writers, and got to go on numerous press junkets back in the day, including a surfing trip near Puerto Vallarta that resulted in a scar that gets mentioned in her new book. Um, so come on up, Katie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I should say welcome back, Katie, because you have been on the Another Mother Runner podcast before. Am I on? You are live. You are, yes. Uh, You were on because you wrote uh, an essay in Tales from Another Mother Runner. That is true. And that was sort of the germ. I didn't know it then, which is sort of the beauty of life. Am I speaking loud enough? You do things, and in the moment, you sort of put your all into it, but you don't know where it's going to lead. And that essay really became the germ of this book. So thank you, Sarah. Oh, that was well, awesome. Th- and thanks to Dimity, my my cohort, for you know tapping you to write an essay for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that um, I love that episode that you were on because your window oh, was open in Santa Fe, and it's she was like Snow White. It sounded like birds were twittering around your head. There were, <laughs> I, and that's funny because there were many birds that day, and it, it did. It, I like the ambiance, and I've thought of that since. I said I should open the window and have the birds chirp. Because have the birds <laughs> chirping like it's like squirrels must have been like folded your laundry and mice were sweeping the floor they coming out of my apron pocket (laughs) (laughs) not (laughs) so um okay since this is the another mother runner podcast start by telling us about your daughters um what ages are they now um i have a daughter pippa who is 10 and a half and my daughter Maisie is eight and a half and they are um super game little girls you know, we live out, you know, outdoor lifestyle with them. So we're always camping, doing river trips, hiking, big time into skiing. We've had a fantastic winter. So they've just been ripping up the mountain this winter. Um, so they pretty much do what we do. And when I had them, our, you know, our, I got great advice before I even had my first daughter, a friend of mine who is South African. And that's important because when she speaks in her accent, she sounds very authoritative (laughs) and very knowing. And she said, you know, she gave me this advice, start off as you mean to go on. So meaning start off raising your kids the way you want to raise them. So we were, we took that literally, we were doing river trips with them before they were one. And, you know, we wanted to raise them outside. And so we um, started off that way. And it's been great. I mean, it's really hard in the beginning. It's a lot of work and they don't maybe appreciate it, but it's training for the parents as much as them Mm -hmm. that, yeah, you can change your diapers on the tent floor and (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, that's a good segue into your uh, Twitter handle, mm-hmm. which is Raising Rippers, right? Which I assume is a reference to your daughter. Exactly. And that's the column that I had created for Outside Magazine, where I've worked for many, you know, all my adult life practically. And so, right, I, raise, I write the Raising Rippers column on Outside, and it's all about, you know, getting kids outside and getting them active. And um, even when it's a lot of work and it seems easier to stay at home, it's always better to get out. We never regret it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nice. speaking of, of being active or getting active, you're an accidental marathoner. Mm-hmm. Accidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I want to read a quote so then you can tell folks about how you sort of fell into mm-hmm. running and maybe let folks know who's, who said this quote. Mm-hmm. So just run to the next tree and then the next. You can always go farther than you think you can. You're stronger than you think you are. Mm-hmm. Does anybody in this room know who, who said that maybe? That's a good guess. And Trayson is an OG goo athlete too. So that's mm-hmm. a very good guess. She's a legend Yay, in the ultra and scene. Yeah, yeah, for ass. sure. What can I say that? Oh, yeah, we, yeah, there's no bleeping. You can most definitely okay. see, see Total badass. badass on you. That's from other runner podcast, yes. <laughs> but so tell us who said that okay. and, and give us a little sure. context sure. for that accidental marathon. So that quote is from Dean Carnassus, ultra legend, local athlete as well. And um, the I have been a runner my whole life, but just shorter distances and just kind of for fun and on my own, like a, like a private thing I would do. Um, but Outside Magazine in 2006 um, wanted, assigned me to do a story about Dean Carnassus, um, and he was doing his 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days um, campaign or you know project. And so he was coming through Albuquerque. That was his New Mexico stop. It was like number 26. And um, you know my style of writing is to just do what they do. And to throw myself into the, the world of my subjects. And so I called Dean and I said, you know, I'd really like to run with you and do the interview while we're running. And I'll meet you six miles from the end. And Dean's like, no, no, meet me at the start. And, you know, it was Dean and he had his whole program. And who was I to say no? So I said, sure, Dean. And we get there. And, you know, they weren't all organized marathons, but it was all a marathon distance. So this was during the week and it wasn't a formal marathon. So there was a small entourage with Dean, you know, some some pals, some local runners and me. And I had my digital voice recorder I love that detail the around book. my neck, <laughs> like a good <laughs> reporter. <laughs> and um, yeah, but bump, like slapping me in the face. Yeah. And so we just started. And, you know, I, I said to Dean, like, I'm going to interview while we while we run. And he was keeping a very modest at pace because he was doing so many marathons in a row and so what's um, a moderate pace though I mean I'll tell you at the end okay and um (laughs) and so um but I said Dean I'm just gonna peel off after a certain distance like I'm for sure gonna peel off and we'll do the interview and then I'll catch you at the finish and he's like okay and so we're running and talking and running and talking and running and talking and Dean is so charismatic if you've known Dean or met him or seen him speak he's just like this dynamo and um, we, I was talking and running the voice recorder, and then I forgot to run the voice recorder, but it didn't matter because it was just, you know, we were just flowing along. And, you know, next thing I know, we get to, Dean's like, we got to turn around here. We're at the halfway mark. And so I'd run 13 miles, and, there, you know, there was no way to get back except just to <laughs> run the way back. And I really didn't feel like I was tired or that I wanted to stop because Dean was so, his energy was so infectious. And um, so along the way, Dean had told me, I was like, well, what's your secret? You know, how do you keep going? Because he would run 100, you know, 100 miles overnight, and he'd order, like, he'd call Pizza Hut and say, meet me on the corner of X and Y, and they'd come with the pizza, or he'd run through the, t- the drive-thru at Taco Bell, and um, I loved his energy. I was like, that is my style. <laughs> and so we just kept running. And, you know, next thing I know, like, it was exactly four hours later. There's the finish line. And, you know, small, like a very modest crowd, like his wife. And they had their kids in an RV. They were going to Oklahoma in the morning for their next run. So they couldn't hang out. <laughs> and that was it. I just run my first marathon. And I said, Dean, I just, you know, do you know what I just did? I just ran a marathon and it was my first and he thought that was the greatest thing. And that launched me. I mean, I really didn't do anything with it for a while, but I put that away and I think his words really stuck with me and they're true. I mean, you just can always go a little bit farther and you can walk. You don't have to be fast. You know, you can walk, get to the next tree, then give yourself another marker 
And, and I, my style of that is I sort of break it down. So like aid station to aid station or mm -hmm. little chunk to little chunk. It makes yeah. it more manageable. Yeah, so Dean is awesome because he, he's the real deal and um, he's a big part of the story, why I'm here now. Mm, nice, nice. So while I was reading Running Home, I took a break to do the math. And so you didn't start running ultras until you were 40, right? 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 Yeah. That is just crazy. So, <laughs> so knowing the Mother Runner tribe, I just had to point out that fact because I think it just, I mean, you know, so you, like I said, you and I have known each other a long mm -hmm. time. And I mean, I'm like, and now she's a sponsored ultra runner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think age is a mindset. And, you know, people love to tell you those stories like, oh, my gosh, running's bad for your knees or like I'm getting so old and the person's like younger than me. And I'm like, you, you can't say that. Like say that when you're 90, then then it might be true. But like don't buy into those stories. There's so many stories. And I think that's a lot about what I go through in the book or the stories that not only other people tell us, um, that hold us back, but the ones we tell ourselves that hold us back, and then the ones ultimately that set us free. And um, you know, the stories stories are important, and it's it's good to write your own story and make it the story you want to be living. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good reminder that age is just a number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking of running and racing, uh, you just kicked off your book tour actually mm -hmm. with a race. Yeah. So I'm gonna give you some props. <laughs> she just did the Marin Ultra Challenge um, on, Thank you. on Saturday in miserable <laughs> conditions, miserable conditions, and she won. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell us a little bit about the race? And this was your second event for this year so Correct. far, right? Yeah. Yep. It was my second race and um, I did the Moab uh, not so red hot 55K <laughs> um, in mid-February, which was icy and cold. And I was thinking, I'm, you know, I've been running on snow all winter in Santa Fe and slippery and I think I'm just going to get some desert dirt and I show up and it's ice and black ice at the start and oh snow and and um so that was a challenging race and I had not raced the 50k distance since I first started ultra running which was in 2012 uh -huh. I just kind of kept moving up in distance and at Moab I kept thinking well why is everyone in such a rush like everyone's <laughs> so, like what's the rush like we have a lot of miles just simmer it's not very relaxing <laughs> and 50k is a, is like a serious people go out fast and stay fast and um I was out you know my I was out of practice like with that mindset I, I was like this is not very relaxing and so at um Marin Ultra Challenge I had that experience it was just three weeks you know three weeks ago and so I was a little bit more intentional about getting out um the way I wanted to and and realizing you know I'd forgotten I thought well I could just catch people but you run out of miles in a 50k pretty fast so Marin was amazing. The trails are stunning, mm -hmm. incredible views. Like even in the rain, I live in the desert, so I don't mind the rain. It's a novelty. And um, the, I just, the, the tr trails are so buff and pretty mm -hmm. that I, I just had an amazing time and um, just flowed the whole time. It was great. It was, the water was flowing from the sky. The mud was flowing under my feet. So it really, it, like, it was great. Mm. <laughs> I also set, set a PR, which was pretty exciting. Oh, my gosh. And part of it, too, is coming from altitude to sea level. Like, you're just immediately a hero. And, <laughs> and, or you feel that way. Like, maybe not to other people. But I felt like inside, I'm like, wow, you're crushing it. And mm. it feels good because you can, you know, just go much faster. Yeah, that extra oxygen helps out for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But two 50Ks or 155K and 150K in a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are now... 48, right? No, yeah, 46. I'm 47. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Don't, get, yeah, don't yeah. round up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, that's that's a lot of distance for, you know, the, I mean, so what's your self-care routine? Um, uh, I take hot tubs. I take cold showers. I do sort of like a very, very modified Wim Hof method with the cold shower, which I think really helps with recovery. I roll. I do strength training to stay healthy and not get injured. That's a big piece. Like how often do you strength train? Uh, twice a week for an hour. Oh, wow. Sometimes three times. Okay. And just a routine that you've made up. Yeah, on I did or? it after I broke my leg. 
Um, that was the best thing. You know, there's always a silver lining to every kind of injury or setback. And that was definitely the silver lining to breaking my leg was, you know, realize how important strength is. And, and that's really why I was so healthy all last year for, and, and had such a fantastic year that ended at Leadville was um, because I did a lot of gym time or not even a lot I mean I have to force myself to go inside I much rather be outside always um, but it pays off and you know it's interesting you say that because uh, for those of you that were at the Jeff Browning podcast or in evening we had he's he's a, a 40 something yeah. endurance athlete too and he speaks very highly of a core strength routine yeah. that he does on a daily basis and how that helps him uh, you know, recover and, and do what he does. Yeah, actually, I do Pilates like four or five times in a week at night just for 10 or 15 minutes on my mat. And the, and that is like, talk about just a super deep internal strength that is, it translates to the trails just in terms of balance. And um, yeah, it's really important. So, I mean, how many hours would you say you're putting in a week with all the different aspects of training? I mean, I don't really count because it's just like all, I just try to keep it all seamless. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's how I live. It's how I run. It's how I write. I mean, running is a big part of how I am a writer. Mm. Um, so I would say like three hours a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are you still f magazine writing? I am. Yep. Mm -hmm. I write for Outside. I've got an excerpt in this um, month's issue. So I heard that. Somebody told me that exclusive excerpt of my book, Running Home. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I do write for other outlets as well. But mm -hmm. Outside's really been my family since I mm -hmm. was a wee one. Exactly. Since you were an intern there. <laughs> it, exactly. <laughs> many years ago. Lo, those many years ago. <laughs> hey, we are going to take a quick break. We'll continue this conversation with Katie. Uh, stay with us. So, so Katie, your memoir is so much about progression, whether mm -hmm. it's the stages of motherhood with your two young daughters, your father thinking he'd make progress yeah. um, toward better health, even when he was speaking with a hospice nurse, or you moving from 50K to 50 miler to 100K race. So did you see the progression as a through line as you're writing the book? That's a great question. Yes. I mean, progression rather than end results has always been... Um, kind of how I see life like kind of there's a line in the book too that where I have this moment where I realize that even if you don't know where you're going or what you're doing right now isn't working everything takes you to the next place so whether it's something that's a really hard challenge and it didn't go well or it's something you're worried about not going well it's still going to move the mark and it's still taking you someplace that you can't possibly know. And that's a big theme in the book is that, you know, I never set out, um, the book began after my father passed away quite suddenly from cancer and I was, um, in, you know, grieving and I tried all these different things cause I had, I came down with real acute anxiety, uh, that I was dying too. And, and that's, um, coincided with the birth of my daughter, which is all, you know, being, coming a new parent is, an, you know, all about worrying. I mean, there's a new level of worry that you never have experienced. And, and so, um, running was what I turned to, but it was not premeditated. Like my father died, I'm grieving. Now I'm going to turn to long distance, ultra distance and heal myself and write a book. You know, it was, that's the progression now, but you only see it when you, you when you have distance and time, but literally distance from it. And so, um, I just did, um, one step in front of the other, you know, one step in front of the next and forward, even when I didn't know where I was going. And that's a, um, a progression and it's a practice to trust that even if you don't know where you're going, if you keep moving forward, um, that it will lead you somewhere. So not to, to dwell on a sad topic, you and I talked earlier about some common threads that we share in our lives, living in Santa Fe, mm -hmm. being endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. But the really unfortunate one is we have both lost our fathers to cancer. Um, and that has helped me as an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have a passage in your book that I want to read to folks. And I'm wondering if then we can sort of expound upon, um, how we deal with that grief sure. as athletes. Running is the last thing I feel like doing, but I make myself go. I need to feel the sun on my skin to see the mountain in the same old place to the North and East of town, all their bumps and pleats to run the trails. I know by heart. I start off fast so I don't have to think, but the tears catch me after a half a mile and I lean over crying so hard I can't breathe. I know for me, the bicycle helped me process 
the grief I felt around my father's death. And my wife's also a stage four colon cancer survivor. So a lot of things to, to deal with and process. Um, but I'm wondering if you can just explain what running meant to you um, in dealing with your father's passing. Yeah, um, it, I mean, it meant so much to me. On one hand, it's just the motion of running, just the physical act of moving your body and getting out of your head. Um, and so the rational brain can become irrational in grief. And um, my brain was telling me that I was dying. And that was just the way I... Um, felt my grief, I guess. And so running, when I would run, I would get out of that worry brain. And I would literally run myself into my physical body and into that um, state where you can leave your thoughts behind. And for all of you who are runners, or not even runners, but athletes, or have that thing you love to do when you become so absorbed in it, you, lo you leave your thoughts behind. Um, that's what I was able to do. And so running gave me that relief from that just worry loop that like I had X form of cancer or this. I mean, I could just get whatever someone else had just by listening to them. And so, so the physical action, you know, the embodiment I felt when I ran um, was was a great relief and great comfort. And then, you know, being in wilderness. So I'm not a, a real road runner. For me, the solace is in being in nature where things are so much bigger than you are and not in a way that makes you feel insignificant or small, but in a way that makes you feel connected. And so I would go out and just be fed um, by the trees and, um, you know, just the mountains and feeling a part of something bigger. That, could that was big enough to hold my grief. So it was both of those things. It was running and the wilderness. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. So I've heard it said about ultra runners, they're always running from something. <laughs> That's a great um, having read your new <laughs> memoir, it seems to me that statement holds true. Oh. Uh, would you agree? <laughs> there are some days when I'm running from things like the dishes in the sink or deadlines <laughs> or, you know, something that happened in my family. But um, no, I think, I think for the most part, maybe when I was first grieving, I was running from those thoughts. But I'm really, I believe that running, I'm, I'm running toward myself as a person and the life I want to live and, you know, my, my potential, but also my creativity. I mean, I always, running, like I said, is so linked to writing for me. And so I'm, when I run, I f literally feel the ideas coming up through my feet, through mm. the dirt. And so I feel that running, you know, is very much running toward, toward who I am, my true self and, and and the life that I'm, I've made for myself. Nice. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about that? I was intrigued that in your book you talk about that um, you really felt like it was postpartum anxiety mm -hmm. that was really at the core of mm -hmm. all this. And that to me, as I was reading the book, was kind of a revelation. To me, it felt like so much of it was tied up with your grief of, uh, and everything you went through with your father. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the, the postpartum yeah, anxiety. Yeah, it's hard to separate all of them because it really was this mashup of, of grief um, profound grief at the loss of my father with whom I was very close even though we didn't I didn't grow up with him in the house we were kindred spirits um, creatively and um, he very much taught me how to see the world and um, as a photographer did to really take note and and pay attention which is such a gift was such a gift to me as a writer um, and so it was it was first of all it was grief and you know my daughter was two or three months old and so like right after you give birth you you know your hormones are everywhere and um, so that certainly played in and then I think it was a little bit of that like you know midlife mortality you know existential crisis of realizing oh my god actually like people die and like we all are gonna die and um, which sounds so dark but that just you know it was just all together but the postpartum the anxiety um, you know, I, I, I did feel that that was part of it, but I think it was just all, it was my way of grieving, I guess, or my way of trying to hold on to my father was feeling that I was dying too. I don't know. It was intense. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, you talk about paying attention just in mm -hmm. your last answer there, and that leads me to the next question here. And it, once again, I'm going to quote your book because I highlighted <laughs> I up that. your book when I read Thanks, it. Siri. Yeah, totally. Um, you say, for me, flow has never been only about running. It's about paying attention. 
And I, for those of you that don't know, Katie, when she runs, she has two words written on her hands, <laughs> and that's smile and flow. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that? About the words? Yeah, sure, all of that. Yeah, um, so the flow state, as you know, is, is written about a lot, and um, but it's that state of hyper attention to when you know you're, all your senses are firing and you're you're just super aware of your environment. You're very present. Um, it feels like time either slows down or speeds up, and um, it's a it's just a very amazing feeling to be in flow because you feel like you're in sync with what I was saying before that sort of larger force in nature, and. Um, so um, I guess it started, I mean, I, I usually write things on my hands. It's not always smile and flow, but at, before I went to Leadville, I did their training camp. And so I was there in June running the course and I had my first day was a good day, but I was constantly looking at my watch and trying to figure out how far I'd gone um, and how far I had left to go. And it was a marathon distance um, and it it, it was fine. I did. I had a great day, but I what didn't enjoy it. It felt very sticky, like I was just trying to rush time. And um, so I went into the next day, which was a, tr a run over Hope Pass, which is the biggest climb on Leadville's course. And I wanted to do it differently because I didn't, you know, I I I, I run because I love the feeling of running, and I love just being in motion in nature and I hadn't loved it that much that day and so I wanted to see if I could ride the natural flow of the mountains because I believe that you know there is that that and if we can tap into it 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 we can be stronger than we think we are and it can carry us and so on that second day at Leadville camp um I did that and I just tapped into some intense flow state and um I got to the end and I and this guy near me was like, well, you know, where is your motor? And I didn't think, I just answered. I said, it's in the river beneath my feet. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was cuckoo. And I don't know where that came from, except that, you know, water is a very powerful force in my life. And I did believe, I, I felt that I was, you know, riding some, some, a river. And, and so I knew that that's the feeling I wanted going into the race at Leadville. And that if I could run from that flow state, that I would have an amazing day. And I didn't necessarily think I would win. And that wasn't even top of mind, but I knew I would have the very best day that I could have. And, um, so sure enough at Leadville, um, before I got there, it's really important to have that run before a race or a big effort where you feel exactly like in your body and aligned. And, and so you can put that into your muscle memory for race day and so I knew that that was the day and I just would have to remember that and so sure enough on Leadville race morning I just found a sharpie and I wrote smile and flow and smile because there is science behind smiling um, you know during physical effort that it it dulls the perceived effort um, and flow because I'd felt that flow and so it became this crazy perfect feedback loop on my hand in Sharpie because the more I smiled the more I flowed and the more I flowed the more I smiled and and the people around me were getting that vibe too so I would come into aid stations and people would be smiling and then I'd be flowing and they were flowing and it was just <laughs> this I don't know it was this amazing convergence so it really worked it was like a 20-hour flow state and I had thought that I would eventually come out you know beforehand I didn't expect it to be 20 hours and um, somehow I just stayed, I stayed in it. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. So wow. now that's my mantra. Smile and flow. Smile and flow. Yeah, that's a good one for yeah. sure. Does, does smile come first or does flow come first? It, it smile came first that day. But like on Saturday um, at the Marin Ultra Challenge, I just wrote flow. Mm. Um, because I didn't want to just rip off my old mantra. And like, because part of it too is letting things go. I mean, Leadville was on a different level. Like that kind of day you have, maybe I'll have it again. I, I'm sure I'll have it in a different form. But um, I like to, again, back to progression, keep progressing. Um, what's the new mantra? Don't always cling to the old because that's a, a form of suffering. You know, with the whole smile and flow thing, there's a lot of, uh, we talked earlier about Alex Hutchinson's book, Endure. For those of you who haven't read it, it's a really amazing book. And the power of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, when you're smiling and flowing, are you doing a lot of positive self-talk? Because there's a lot of studies behind positive mm -hmm. self-talk and how that can help our performances too because we're the first to be super critical of ourselves yeah. when we're out there. So, Yeah, I, I do um, positive self-talk. <laughs> and I don't... Um, I did it when I was smiling and flowing, but I really came to it um, 
a few races earlier. In the spring last year, I was doing a local race in New Mexico as a training run. And I didn't have, I showed up super last minute. I signed up like two days before and I didn't have my, my family there to help. I didn't have um, crew and the volunteers are amazing, but I still didn't know anyone really. And I, it was my first um, ultra since I broke my leg. And so I had a lot of fear and uh, my doctor's voice was in my head and he's like, you know, it said I, sh- I should never run again. And so there was anxiety around that. And um, about seven miles in, I was, I was feeling enough anxiety that I just started talking to myself out loud. Like, so not in the head, but out <laughs> loud. And I was, I would just, these words, again, they weren't premeditated. It was like, and I was just saying like, I'm proud of you, you're awesome, I love you. And I was saying these things out loud and it really was amazing. I was saying the things that I wanted other people to say to me, but I think deep down that I needed to say to myself. And so I've since done that um, and I'll just talk right out loud. And I did that at, at the Moab race and I was running in a pack of like three other guys and <laughs> we were on Slick Rock and so there's a lot of route finding because there's nothing to hang the flags on. So we were having to work together to not get lost. And I was running, you know, and I was like, you're awesome, you're doing great. And the guy next to me was like, do I look that bad? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm t- actually talking to myself. <laughs> and then he gave me even a stranger look. <laughs> but it's really, it's really helpful. Like just say it right out loud. It's it's kind of more powerful. Yeah. You're like having a little dialogue. But Dimity often says, well, sometimes when we give a talk at Expos, she says, um, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to someone else. Yeah. And so you wouldn't say like, oh, you're having a crappy day. You or, look like shit. Yeah, you look, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so and um, I definitely have done that, the talking out loud to myself. And I say, I'll, but I usually say it to other people and I'm just like, okay, I need to hear someone say we're crushing this hill. So I'm going to say it to the person next to me, but obviously I hear myself talk. So, you know, you can, you can listen to yourself no matter whether you're talking to yourself or to someone else. Yeah. And I do, I do talk to other people a lot. I'm super chatty on the trail because Mm -hmm. I just feel less alone and it helps with the nerves in the beginning. But yeah, I I do talk a lot. Do you find that women are are more receptive to both? And sometimes women are not. And sometimes it just sort of depends. You got to feel it out. But there is, you know, I do talk in the first person a lot to myself. Like you're, you know, you're doing great. Or I guess that second person. But at Leadville, when I was at the camp, I started talking in third person. Oh, nice. <laughs> which was really cool like I was coming in the night run and we were doing its night run to, to simulate like the end of the course and we were running in from May Queen and it's 13 miles in to the finish at um, 6th and Harrison and Leadville and um, I was coming over the rise and I was with this guy that I'd met and um, I started saying like they said it couldn't be done you know here they come it's Katie Arnold from Santa Fe and I what I realized I was doing was I kind of like role-playing or like imagining what I wanted to happen on race day and it came true visualization visualization another important tool yeah it really is Oh my goodness. Hey, you you said water's very important to you. Are you a water sign in the astrological? I'm a Scorpio. Oh, no. Is that water? Oh, no, I was wondering if you were a Pisces. No. Yeah. But I just grew up on water and uh-huh. I, yeah, and and rivers, well, rivers where I broke my leg, but I that yeah. I'm still a river person. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, since we're talking about breaking things, yeah. uh-huh. uh let's talk about the injury that you didn't talk too much mm-hmm. about in the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm tempted to start maybe calling you Quadzilla because <laughs> yeah, <I know>. no, <laughs> because the doctor said your quadriceps were so strong <laughs> that it snapped your patella yeah. just running along. Yes. So for those of you who haven't read her book yet, um, she was just running along, JRA, right? Just running along. JRA, I've never yeah. heard of that. for riding. We use that, J- just riding along uh, and something happens. JRA. Oh. JRA. But uh, you were just JRA, just running along, and you broke your patella. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that was um, 2014, and I had just done um, the Trans Rockies stage race and won that, and I was coming off of it, and my goal was just to run through. So, like, I didn't want to make racing such a big deal that it took me out of running. And so I thought I'd recovered enough, and... um, I was out running on this pretty flat rail trail and um, kind of pushing my pace a little bit, um, kind of in my head a little bit, like imagining like, you know, that I was, vi- I was visualizing. visualizing yeah. I was, I was visualizing the JFK 50. Across the finish line. Yes, I did. I was doing that like, 
narration, which now I realize my dad did that a lot, like fake sportscaster. Um, but I was doing that, and I hear this really crazy sound, like paper tearing, and it's I'm listening through my earbuds because I listen to music sometimes, and it's coming from my own body, and it's in my knee, and um, I didn't know what had happened, and my knee started to swell. I had to limp back to my car. I didn't get in to see the doctor for a couple of weeks, and he's like, "So tell me what happened. Did you, you know, did you fall? Did you?" And I was like, "No, I was JRA," and um, I heard this noise, and he's like, "Cause you broke your kneecap, and it was this freak avulsion fracture where your um, your muscle contracts and breaks your knee, and you know." I mean, I don't have like huge quads or anything, but that was my first real injury. And little did I know it would be the easy one <laughs> because I didn't need surgery. And the doctor was so, couldn't believe I'd been walking around on a broken kneecap. You know, he's like, you ultra runners. That speaks volumes about your pain tolerance. Yes, I, I, have, a, I have a high pain tolerance. So how long were you out of things with that injury? That was eight weeks, which paled in comparison to, I mean, I, and I was bearing weight and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it pales in comparison to? Well, in 2016, I was in a wilderness river accident and mm -hmm. where we, a raft flipped and I went over in the salmon, middle fork of the salmon river and I um, broke my tibial plateau on this side. Mm -hmm. And um, that was... So the was other leg? Same leg. Oh, same leg. Okay. My, my precious leg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but after, yeah, it was 14 weeks non, you know, on crutches and, and surgery. And that's when the doctor was like, if I were you, I'd never run again. And, you know, it was like echoing in my head for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm. I didn't listen. <laughs> Good. That was his Good. story. Spoiler that alert. Was his story. That was not going to be mine. He just was like super dismissive, like find a new hobby and you, know. you need to send him a copy of your book. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, so changing tact a little bit. Late in your book, you write a bit about running, causing marital strife in yeah. your home life. Um, you said, Steve's resentment is growing with my mileage. And this was before you even trained for, you know, kind of some of your your 100-mile race. Um, so this is, you know, something a lot of mother runners mm -hmm. can relate to no matter what distance they're training for. Father runners too, I bet. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Um, so, you know, any advice for folks? Um, I just would communicate and, you know, lay out your goals. And I say that and I didn't really do that. <laughs> so that's the sheepish look on my face. I mean, I didn't, a lot of the times I didn't know why I was running so far. And that's, I think, the source of the irritation that, you know, that Steve felt was, um, and he's a really tolerant guy and he would, ne we have the kind of marriage where it's like we give each other the freedom. So he'll go backcountry skiing in British Columbia or fly fishing and I'll run. And it's really important to us. But um, I couldn't articulate why I was running so much. And he would just be like, why are you going? What is this for? And I would just say, I don't know what it's for, but I know it's more than about more than running. And it really always was. And what I realized at the end of the book is, that I had been writing the book, you know, while running, and that's what it had been for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking of writing, can you talk a little bit about your writing practice, mm -hmm. um, taking it in small chunks? You showed me your journal mm -hmm. earlier that you travel with. Yeah. I wonder if you can share with folks some of sure. your thoughts on writing. Sure. So I, I don't make writing um, fussy or special. Like I always have a notebook with me and in it I can write whatever I want. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be for anything. I think that's really important if you're a writer, if you do any kind of um, practice or art, um, that it doesn't have to you're not, again, you're not focused on results. You're focused on the process of like, oh my God, I just had this crazy encounter with like a pet iguana that I'm house sitting and I have to write it down. Or the dude that chucked a rock at you on the yeah, trail. Yeah, exactly. And so I just have to write it down. I think that's my father's um, influence for sure. As a photographer, he was all about getting the story and through pictures as a photojournalist for National Geographic. And, um, and as a writer, I learned the same, which is just get the details, like get those moments you know, it's a practice in being present, really, and get those moments that it just, you know, you won't happen again, and the, the little moment that makes the story, and you don't have to be a writer to appreciate those moments. I mean, those are the moments of connection or that remind you, like, oh, my God, I'm alive, and this world is so amazing and crazy, and so I just, um, I just capture things. I just write them down, and I don't know what they're for, if I'll use them, um, but I trust that they're part of the bigger story. Okay, shifting again, um, 
I love that you talk about uh, TMI topics in the book because that is very much a hallmark of another mother runner. Do uh, I? You, you do. You uh, do. You t- um you uh, mention often and casually how you pee <laughs> while you're out on a run. Um, I do not whether that it's often, <laughs> whether it's next to, to next to a tree while trail running uh-huh. or between two parked cars while on pavement. Uh-huh. So, do you think ultra runners are more nonchalant about peeing out of doors? I mean, I haven't done a like a exhaustive survey on this, <laughs> but I would think so. I mean, just by you have to be, you have uh-huh. to. I don't do it in front of anyone. Like I'm not going to embarrass someone going by. Like I'm discreet. Uh-huh. I tuck in somewhere. Uh-huh. But I think you have. And you to drop trow, or do you just go, you wow. go through? Do you go? Yeah, we're going there. Of TMI. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the former. Yeah. I don't know what you were going to say. The second thing, but I do the former. Okay, yeah. Okay. And um, <laughs> but I have been in a race at the North Face 50 where. Um, um, I was up with the front runners and um, this woman whips off the trail like and stands up, you know, and is back with the pack. And we were like putting down a pretty mean pace back with the pack in like less than 10 seconds. And wow. that, I thought that was a pretty fierce. Um, she wow. had some technique. <laughs> yeah. I have not practiced. That's not really on, high on my list of things to practice, but I guess one could if you really want to shave some time off uh-huh. or just don't pee. Yeah, or just, yeah, just, <laughs> just hold, hold it. it. Yeah, just hold it the whole just time. Just hold it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of running but not peeing in the woods, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you have an awesome quote in your book. I'm quoting all this book. I you love can that. See it. I know. I, I was like I was in school again, highlighting, so, highlighting I, my book. It's a writer's um, dream. But this, uh, I mean, this it speaks to all athletes, runners, cyclists, swimmers. Um, you say anybody can be a runner. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to know anything. You just have to start small and break it down. Yeah. And, that's such a like good mantra yeah. for life, for yeah. everything in life. I yeah. wonder if you can just expound on that a little I, bit. I mean, I, I, I learned that a little bit um, as a writer for Outside. I would go on assignment. I had a little stint where I was covering some climbers, and um, most notably Steph Davis, who's an amazing female climber, and then her late ex-husband, Dean Potter. And you know, I thought that climbers just looked at a route and climbed it. And, um, but actually they break it down and they practice their, um, moves. And if you've seen free solo, you know that, and you've seen Alex, I love his notebooks, but he would keep those exhaustive notebooks about the moves. And, um, so they would break it down. And I kind of got that from them is that break it down and, um, take something big and make it into little bits that are easier. And I use that with my daughters, like, when we have we live in Santa Fe on a, and we our driveway's a hill and like everything in Santa Fe it's dirt and it's sort of rutted and it's washboardy and it's you know it was hard when they were learning to ride their bikes to go down it because they would just sort of get going and then wipe out and so we just had them break it down we started at the bottom and moved up and um it's just good for everything yeah take like at Leadville I wasn't running 100 miles I was running to the next aid station you can do that in any race or any hard effort, whether it's sports or writing a book, like one chapter after the next. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a helpful motto. I'm going to take that se- segue into to Leadville 2018, mm-hmm. the year you won. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about your your preparation mm-hmm. leading into it. Um, because I'm a shill for Goo, your nutrition plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, and maybe support crew. Yeah, that's a good question. I was talking to Magda earlier um, because she's running Leadville this year. And um, my main strategy for Leadville was that my motto was everything counts um, because I had never run 100 miles before. It was intimidating to think about how I would train for that distance. And so I just literally everything counted all time on my feet was um, training and so that included walking my girls to school cruising around on my my cruiser bike just for fun which I love to do or riding to the grocery store to get groceries coaching my girls lacrosse team Um, so that helped me not feel so intimidated and it just kept me moving all day I mean really in the end a hundred mile race or a 50 mile race is just about staying in motion and um, there's going to be times you feel crummy and times you feel great Um, and so that's what I did. And I also practiced like running at odd times when I didn't feel like running, like when maybe I would feel like sitting, you know, or going to sleep or so I would run or I would eat a big meal and then go for a run because I needed to 
train running feeling you know not 100% comfortable and so that was fun to do like I would eat a hot dog or something random with my kids <laughs> and then I know and then uh eat like half of their ice cream cone because I'm always like no I don't have ice cream and then I make them give you know as I'm sure lots of mothers do and then I would go running and so that was fun it's just training to, you know yourself for discomfort um so I did that, and then um, my running, my nutrition is what it's always been. I mean, I have been a goo athlete since, like, forever, um, and I eat, uh, try to eat 200 calories an hour, so that's, what is that, two packs? Two packs. Two packs, yeah, and um, that's, you know, what I practice doing, and that's always worked for me, knock on wood. I don't have a fussy stomach, and I can keep things down, and, I mean, I ran so strong, like, I... I never, I, my ed- energy was so steady at, at Leadville the whole time because of that. Does your husband pit for you? Or what's your pit look like? And, and for those, I mean, I've never run 100 uh-huh. miles. Uh, what, what does that look like? I mean, well, it was like leapfrogging from, you know, yeah, zone to so zone. So I, I assemble my crew sort of, not last minute, but um, it's hard to ask for help. And it's hard to ask, you know, your friends to come out for a weekend to support you. And, and um, that's one thing running has taught me is that it's important to ask for help because people like to help and it feels really good to help and it feels so great to be helped. And um, so I had lined up a few of my closest friends and it was important that I get people who were super positive, who had that flow state or could get in, the, had that mindset um, because I knew I wanted to be surrounded by people who had that same energy. Um, so I had um, three female friends from Santa, well, two from Santa Fe and one from Boulder. And then my husband and girls were coming up. And um, it was important that my girls come up, even though friends of ours said, oh, we'll take them. And I said, no, I've been training for nine months. And they've seen me go out. And they, it's been time away from them and from like our family trips and it's really important that they see what this has been for and they were like the secret weapon at Leadville they were in costumes my friend oh my Susie gosh. from Boulder um, brought like a bag of costumes and they're like my, every time I came into an aid station they were in different costumes like oh my they gosh. were like in a disco outfit and then my daughter was in a whoopee cushion <laughs> and I just like I never knew what I was going to get so it was really fun so they were like super positive and the the Leadville spectators were like who are those who is that crew like we are this like super motley like un, you know ragtag crew and other runners had like very professional like pit crews but um it mine I I believe that like the people who are meant to be there and need to be there are the ones who are there and so um it really came together and I got my pacers super last minute and I looking like I wasn't going to get anyone and again it's hard to ask and I knew I was going to have um be doing a, a good pace so I wanted someone who could help me in that pace and um it's hard to find people are on their own training programs but I um, got amazing pacers exactly the right ones my husband paced me over hope and that was really amazing because he's hilarious and um, we were running up and 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 I was quite close to the lead woman at that point I was running um, maybe like three or four minutes behind I was coming into the aid and she was leaving and people were like, she's right there, get her. And the whole climb out, like it's now an out and back course. So I was passing people coming down and they're like, she's two minutes ahead. She's one minute. And I was like, we're just, I said to Steve, I said, we're just running. Like we're JMA. JRA. JRA. Just we're running just along. JRA yeah. and we're not changing anything because we'll get her or not. But like, we're not going to power, you know, I'm not going to like sprint to catch her. And um, so we were just having so much fun, like cheering everyone coming down and you know this guy passed us in with an Australian accent and then my husband starts busting out men at work songs (laughs) so it was really fun and then I picked up this next guy my pacer Joe who just helped me put down like some nine minute miles like on this ridge line and it was perfect yeah are, it all came together. Is Joe, I mean, and your husband, do you train with them? Or they no. you run with, so they're just No, I, I didn't, yeah. I met Joe, like I met Joe two days before and then I met, <laughs> I met Wes. <laughs> I met Wes. Wes was amazing. So he paced me the last 25 miles and he's a serious ultra runner. He's done hard rock in Western States. And so he had a lot of experience and, and Wes was like the guard. Like he didn't let info in that wasn't going to be helpful to me. And he was working the phone to find out how much lead time we had because I had since passed the lead woman and um, he, we were getting like beta, but he was doing this all like surreptitiously behind me so that I wouldn't get stressed out. And then he'd give me the 
report, we're 28 minutes up, you're 35 minutes up, you know, and um, so he was sort of guarding the information. He was like the gatekeeper. Uh, and then at one point, like, we knew we had the win, and, um, and I, I was like, you know, Wes, I don't even know what time it is. Like, what time of day is it? My watch had stopped, and he's like, it's 10. And um, I quickly did the math, and we had 12 miles to go, and I was like, do you think we can come in under 12, uh, under 12 midnight, which is sub-20? And he's like, we can do it. And all of a sudden, we just shifted from, like, we had this new goal, and it was amazing. Just real curious about um, your daughters being out at the AIDS. Mm -hmm. Do you, how much do you engage with them? Because I know, I mean, you're in that flow. Mm -hmm. You're in that state of competing yeah. and running and moving. But are you able to engage yeah. with them so, at all? So in a 100-mile race, you are because you, you know, I actually sat down a couple spots. Like, I would change my shoes because they got wet from a river crossing. Or, like, my friend Susie was, like, the lube master. So I had this arnica gel that she would, like, lube on. So there was, like, there was enough time. And um, I was so happy to see them. Yeah, so in a 100, you can certainly do that. I felt that I could, and it helped me. Whereas at that 50K, oh, my God, you just burn through those aid stations. If my kids had come to the 50K, I would have been, <laughs> been like, like talk, See to, ya. talk to the hand. <laughs> See you. Mommy's busy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, I think it depends. But they were really part of, they were like the secret weapon at Leadville. Nice. And the crowd went crazy for them, which, you know, pumped me up. And oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Proud mom of your disco kids. I know, the whoopee cushion. <laughs> I was like, am I, am I, I don't think I'm hallucinating, but <laughs> maybe I am. It happens. I have done that before. <laughs> so then what's next for races? I'm training for the UROC, which is the Ultra Race of Champions in 100K in May. That's sort of my big goal race for the spring. And then I'm going to do the CCC 100K in um, Europe in August. We're You're not telling the whole truth, though. What? Well, I had a little birdie land on my shoulder tonight here in the office oh, and yeah. tell me something that um, nobody in this room, but the three of us, I think, know. Is Can it? we share it with them? Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to be pacing Magda Boulay. I don't know if well, Magda's still here. Right? I don't Is know. It? I mean, I, s I said to yeah, Magda. she threw it out there. That and she Magda's like, I'm in. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Magda Boulay won the Western States. Legend. 20, legend. Legend. 2015. Big time legend. Um and yeah. so is, yeah are you gonna pay her i mean if she wa if she needs my services i'm there i love leadville and i was i'm tempted to run it again but i had such an amazing day that i want to leave it as that for now i mean i know i'll go back to leadville 100 percent, but i don't want to go in thinking like i'm gonna improve, to on, improve yeah. on that day because that was beyond beyond compare so, I mean, are, did you get, like, sweaty palms thinking that you might be pacing Magda? No, I was, no. like, I'm, like, 100% in. I mean, I met Magda at the Trans Rockies, so, um, and she's, in a, you know, she had a great day. Like, she was great over Hope Pass, so she doesn't really need me, but if she wants me, I'm, like, I'll be there. Magda, if you're in the room, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, breaking news. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Katie. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I have to make a plug that uh, another Mother Runner's uh, releasing very exciting news on f the day this show comes out. On uh, Friday, March 15th, we're announcing our uh, spring, kind of late winter, um, women's running retreat in Hilton Head Island. Um, so that is February 28th to March 2nd. So I had to make a plug for it. So, um, but thank you, Katie, for joining thank us. Thank you. And books are on sale here, Running yep. Home. Hope. Yep, yep. And wherever, and for people who are Indie listening bookshops, to Indie bookshops, yeah. Amazon.com. Support your independent bookshops. So we need them, and um, they're so important to our communities. They sure are. They sure are. Our podcast today was produced in Berkeley, California, by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Thank you.